All right, we're turning to page 58, Exodus chapter 25. We, got, we have three readings today, from 25, from 26 and from Hebrews 9. But I'll give you the pages as we go. So reading from Exodus 25, verses 1 to 22, on page 58. It's called Offerings for the Tabernacle. You'll notice how many instructions the Lord is giving to Moses here. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Goat hair, ram skins dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. That's the Lord speaking. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The ark. Have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold moulding around it. Cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on, on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. The table. Um, no, sorry, we're stopping there. Exodus 26, just opposite there on page 59, and we're reading the first 14 verses. Um, if you just have a look at the, the um, 
bottom it does tell you measurements, but a cubit's about um, 18 inches, so that helps you understand the sizes. All right, chapter 26, page 59. Make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with the loops opposite each other. Then make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Make curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains are to be the same size, 30 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together into one set and the other six into another set. Fold the sixth curtain double at the front of the tent. Make 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the en edge of the end curtain in the other set. Then make 50 bronze clasps and put them in the loops to fasten the tent together as a unit. As for the additional length of the tent curtains, the half curtain that is left over is to hang down at the rear of the tabernacle. The tent curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red and over that a covering of hides of sea cows. It's all quite involved, isn't it? Yes, now we go to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9 to see what Jesus said <clears throat> or what Paul is saying or the writer of the Hebrews. That's on page 850. It's under the heading, verse 11, the blood of Christ. So 850, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 11 to 14. Page 850, verse 11 of chapter 9, the blood of Christ. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean 
who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. So let's just bow in prayer now as we come to consider God's word. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your word that uh, throughout the scriptures we, um, we read your unfolding uh, story of, of uh, redemption, of salvation that finds its fulfilment in Christ. And we know, we know, Father God, that without the Old Testament that we just don't have as richer understanding of Jesus and who he is and all that he's done for us. So we thank you for this, uh, these passages from the Old Testament today and we pray that uh, through understanding them that we would understand more of Christ and more of our salvation and uh, that we would be bringing glory and honour to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had a, what you'd call a mountaintop experience. You know the kind of experience that I'm talking about? For example, you, you go away on a church camp. You're away for the whole weekend. You're away from home, away from responsibilities. You're with God's people and you're just soaking up uh, teaching from God's word for a couple of days in the fellowship of other like-minded people who you love and who they love you and you learn so much about God and you feel so inspired in your Christian life, you're encouraged, you're, you're built up and it's, it's great. It's a fantastic weekend away and then you get back to the normal grind of life. <clears throat> you get back to work and studies and responsibilities and all of the things that are about living and sometimes you can feel it's a little bit of a bit of a downer, a bit of a low. Uh, although you know that you've been built up and you know that you're better equipped to be able to face the foe and the realities of living the everyday Christian life. Now I guess we call it a mountaintop experience for a reason. And the reason is because it was on a mountaintop that Moses met up with God, didn't he? And we've been looking at that uh, as we've looked through this series on Exodus. Remember a couple of weeks back, uh, Moses and 73 elders and the, the people of Israel, they were all at the base of Mount Sinai, but Moses and the 73, they were invited up the mountain. And uh, on that mountain, two very special things happened. First of all, they saw God. Remember that? And then we're told that they ate. It was a special thing to do, actually. They saw God and they ate. And uh, it's a high point. It's a, it's a fantastic mountaintop experience. But meeting with God, this, this small slice of heaven, was never ever to be just a one-off mountaintop experience. Now, this meeting between God and the representatives of Israel was not the high point. It was just the beginning. 
the beginning of God's meeting, dwelling, living with his people. You see, you see this, this mountaintop kind of thing oh, throughout the, um, actually the narrative of Exodus as well, because if you read through the latter part of Exodus, you might even be tempted to think that, you know, just in terms of reading, that the mountaintop experience of Exodus chapter 24 is the high point of the book itself, and from there on in, it's, it's downhill. Because from chapter 25 to the end of Exodus, well, it's mostly about intricate and uh, even tedious detail of instructions for the, for the building of what is called a, a tabernacle and pre- precise detail about things like furniture, fittings and fabrics. Um, you know, fine if you're an interior decorator or a builder, but it can be tedious. And we can even be tempted to skip over these chapters. But we don't do that. And as we see, as we'll see this week and also next week, these are by no means the, uh, a low point after a mountaintop experience. In fact, these chapters from 25 to 40 are, in fact, uh, central. They, they are critical to uh, not just Exodus, but the whole of the Old Testament, not just the whole of the Old Testament, but the whole of the Bible. Not just These are critical chapters in terms of our understanding of Christ and our understanding of our place in relation to Christ, in relation to God. So um, can I invite you to open up your Bibles at uh, Exodus chapter 25? And as you do so, let me just give you a brief sketch of the rest of the book. Um, Chapters 25 to 40 are mostly about, first of all, the blueprint and then later on the construction of the tabernacle and sandwiched in between those two uh, sections uh, is the the incident where Israel uh, worships the golden calf, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks. A couple of Sundays' time. But before we go too far into today's section, it might be helpful for us to define what a tabernacle is. Remember, we did actually talk about this a couple of uh, weeks ago that uh, a tabernacle is an old, the, the word tabernacle is an old English word which comes from a Latin word, and the Latin word means tent or a, tw- a temporary dwelling. So that's what it means. Uh, now, it's not a word which we <coughs> typically use in everyday life, do we? Uh, you, you know, you don't, you don't pack your, uh, you know, your, your sleeping bag and your tabernacle you know, when you go camping uh, because it's come to be known uh, really to refer to this particular tent because of its importance in the Bible. But, <coughs> but that's what it means, a tent or a, a portable dwelling. And... In chapter 25, God starts with the instructions. He starts with the blueprint for the the tabernacle. Now, over the years, I've been involved... um, Does anyone remember the Mid-Coast Christian Convention that we used to have up in 
uh, Evans Head area, or uh, where was it? Yarra happening, or yeah, Yarra happening? Yep, and before that it was at Yarra happening. This is before your time, Kathleen, actually. Um, this is ancient history. And we used to actually, I was on the committee organising it, and we used, to, we used to hire a huge circus tent. Remember those days? Anyone? Big circus tent. And uh, one of the first things that the committee would do when we were planning for each year was we made sure that we nailed the, uh, the hiring, the reservation of that circus tent because the tent was the important thing. And after we got the tent sorted out, only then would we think about the things like the, the things that go inside the tent, you know, the furnishings like the lectern and sound system and all of that sort of thing. But the tent was the important thing to get sorted out first. But here, uh, it is actually the reverse to that. Because uh, the first thing on God's to-do list in terms of the production of things is not the tent itself, uh, it's all about the furnishings, which is in chapter 25. The furnishings seem to be a priority. And in uh, verses 10 through to 30, the people, or 10 through to uh, 22, the people are, first of all, to make an ark. Now, this is not an ark like Noah's ark. This is not a, a boat that we're talking about here. Uh, the ark, it's actually a wooden box. It's, it's, a, it's a chest. And it's, uh, we're told that it's to be 2.5 cubits long and 1.5 cubits wide and 1.5 cubits high, uh, which is fine if you know what a cubit is, but um, here's an easy way of remembering it. A cubit actually comes from the word which means the measurement from your elbow to the tip of your longest finger. That's a cubit, right? A bit like the way we talk about a foot. Uh, but of course, therefore, it has a standard measurement, uh, not because everyone's arms are different lengths, but the standard length, a cubit is 40, uh, 46 centimetres. Uh, I actually measured mine and I came out at 47 centimetres. So there you go. That's what a cubit is. And that gives you an idea of the size of this particular box. So it's a rectangular wooden box or chest. Uh, it means that it's about a metre long and about 70 centimetres wide and 70 centimetres high. And on each of the corners, it has uh, rings attached so that through those rings can be inserted uh, two poles. And the two poles mean that the, this ark, this chest, can be, can be carried. Now, in verses 17 through to 22, the lid on the ark is given a special name and it's called an atonement cover. By the way, did you see the picture of the ark in your, um, your outlines? Someone actually went and built something according to the instructions here and that's what they came out that it would look like. Um, <clears throat> it's made of uh, pure gold and on top of the, um, uh, the, that is the atonement cover, is the, the lid of the box is made of pure gold and crafted into the lid are cherubim, two cherubs 
um, facing each other with their wings spread upward. Now, it's good that uh, Catherine's just left because I was talking to Catherine during the week and I said, what do you think of cherub is? And she said, don't, isn't that one of those kind of plump, um, smiley, um, friendly-looking, angelic kind of you know, creatures? Isn't that what a cherub is? Well, that's kind of what we tend to visualise a cherub as being, but now in the ancient world, a cherub was a, was a statue of an angelic creature, but it wasn't cute and cuddly and you know, plump and friendly. It was actually fierce and threatening. It was a tough... Uh, you see, a cherub is actually a guard. Uh, a cherub is like an angelic soldier... <laughs> Nothing friendly about a cherub. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, remember after the fall when Adam and Eve were, uh, were, were driven out of the, the Garden of Eden uh, by God because of their sin, and there was an, the entrance to the Garden of Eden was on the east side of the garden. Now, do you remember uh, what God placed at the entrance to the garden on the east side? What did he place there? Yeah, he placed their cherubim, which is the plural for cherubs, you know, cherub um, in plural is cherubim. He placed cherubim there, and what did they have with them? They had uh, flaming swords which flashed backwards and forwards. Right? These are scary creatures. They, the purpose of that was to guard the entrance so as to prevent... Um, uh, sinful men from gaining access to the tree of life, to prevent access to life, to eternal life, by sinful men had been driven out of the garden that God had placed them in. So what then are these two cherubs to guard? Well, they are to guard the ark and its contents, which are, well, in verse 21, inside the ark, God says that they are to place the testimony which he will give them. Now, in, a bit later on in chapter 34, verse 28, the, the testimony is defined as being the two tablets upon which God with his own finger inscribed the Ten Commandments. Now, just as an aside... Uh, when God did that, when they placed the testimony, these two tablets, into the ark, they were actually this was the second set of tablets that God had inscribed. Because remember what happened? The first time that God inscribed the, the commandments onto the tablets, Moses came down the mountain with the tablets, and what did he see Israel doing? He saw Israel bowing down and worshipping a golden calf, which we'll come to in... Uh, next uh, in a couple of weeks' time. And Moses literally smashed the tablets, which really represented the covenant between God and Israel. He smashed the, covenant, the, the tablets and they, they broke. And so uh, it's for that reason that God then uh, asked, told Moses to produce two new tablets in which God would inscribe the uh, testimony on those tablets. And these are the ones which went into the ark. And that's another sermon. 
But here in chapter 25, the testimony, the Ten Commandments, are to be placed inside the ark, which symbolically is being guarded by the two cherubs. And the purpose of the ark, uh, what is the purpose of the ark? Well, if you believe Hollywood, you know, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, the ark is this, you know, this box which is full of supernatural destructive power, which apparently is now uh, stored on a shelf in a large government warehouse somewhere. That's, that's the Hollywood version. But the real version here is that the key to understanding the ark is found in verse 22. And let me read that for you in verse 22. It says, There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. See, that's really important. There I will meet with you. God would meet with Israel in front of the Ark of the, the Covenant with the testimony inside and the two cherubs. See, the experience of God on, uh, and Israel on Sinai was, just, was never going to be a one-off mountaintop experience. Here at the Ark, God would continue to meet with his people. And you see, because this is not just any ordinary tent. Uh, notice the materials that are, that are used in the construction of the tabernacle uh, in verses uh, 1 through to 7, where we're told that uh, the people are going to be offered, uh, the people are going to be given the opportunity to make an offering. And these are the types of things that people need to be giving. They need to be giving gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. Now, what do you think of that? It's, this is fit for a king, isn't it? Uh, this, is, this is a tent for, for royal use. Um, later on, we, we learned that when they actually built the tabernacle, that they used up almost one ton of gold, uh, four tons of silver, two and a half tons of, of bronze to make the tabernacle uh, and its fittings. This is a tent for royal use. In fact, when the book of Exodus finishes in chapter 40, it finishes with the cloud uh, settling over and the glory of the Lord uh, filling the tabernacle because it's God's dwelling place. Now, you know, we know that God does not live in tents. We know that God does not live in in um, temples. Uh, we know that God does not live in church buildings. Uh, Paul makes that clear in Acts chapter 17, doesn't he? You remember when he's in Athens and he's preaching and he says, the God who made the heaven and earth that can't be contained inside a building, 
that, God, that, that man has made, that the whole of heaven is his temple, that's, that's the reality. But the tabernacle is, uh, uh, is actually the model of the heavenly reality. And you actually see that in some of the colours and the types of things that are used in the construction of the temple, symbolic of the heavenly reality. The way the Bible views it is that the, the universe uh, is, uh, uh, is like the heaven, is like, is like the heavenly reality. You've got the heavenly reality, you've got the universe, then you've got the earth symbolising Eden, which, and then uh, that's also expressed in the tabernacle and then later the temple. So what it's saying here is that now Israel is assured that the presence of the Lord, which their elders had experienced on Mount Sinai, would be with them as they journeyed to and as they settled in the land that God had promised Abraham. So in chapter 25, the ark, along with a table and a lampstand, were to be crafted. And then from chapter 26, instructions are now given for the, the tabernacle itself. Um, someone has helpfully recreated the, a diagram of the tabernacle from the instructions that are given here, and it's there for you on your sheets, so you can see what it uh, might have looked like in diagrammatic form. And what we see there is that there is a, uh, there's a rectangular courtyard uh, around the tabernacle, and the courtyard is, uh, is 50 metres long, so think Olympic-sized swimming pool. It's 25 metres wide, and there's a, a wall around the, uh, that perimeter. Uh, and it, the wall is made of, of fabric, it's curtain material, and there is, there's only one entrance to it, and it's on the eastern side. It's just like in the Garden of Eden, actually. And uh, there's a curtain across that, that entrance, which is on the eastern side, which means that you, you can't see in. The only way you can see what's inside is to go inside. This is actually holy territory. It's, it's separate from the rest of the land. And just like Mount Sinai, the close, when you enter into the, ta the tabernacle compound from the eastern side... The closer you, you got to meeting God, the fewer were allowed to go. So remember on Mount Sinai, the people stayed at the base. The elders went part the way up, but only Moses was allowed to, to go and to, to, and to get further, closer to God. And here, the people would enter the courtyard through the eastern gate, and it's in the middle of that eastern courtyard that there was an altar where sacrifices would take place. And then you see the western half of the compound, that it's in the western part that the tent uh, was erected. The tent was on the western side. The, the whole of the tent, by the way, is about the same size as this building here. And the, the front two-thirds of the tent 
were called the holy place. And the priests could go into the holy place, but they could go no further. Because if you have a look at chapter 26, verses 31 to 35, uh, within the tabernacle, there was, a, uh, there was a, an extra special place. There were two parts to the inside of the tabernacle. The front two-thirds was the holy place, and then there was a curtain, a curtain which was made of blue, purple, and scarlet. Now, these are the colours of royalty, aren't they? Blue, purple, and scarlet. And this curtain was to hang and was to separate the holy place from the most holy place. You see, in verse 31, what was embroidered into this curtain? Have a look at verse 31. What was embroidered into the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place? It was cherubim. Cherubim, yeah, guarding the way, preventing access into the most holy place because inside the most holy place uh, there was only one item and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Guarded by cherubim with a, per- with a curtain that only one person could pass through and that would be the high priest who would only on one day of every year would pass through that curtain, would enter into the most holy place where he would sprinkle blood over the lid uh, of the the ark. He would sprinkle blood in order to atone for Israel's sin over the lid of the ark and that's why the lid is called the atonement cover. Now, has anyone here ever been inside a pagan temple? No? You can admit to it. Put your hand up. Hey, that's half the congregation been inside pagan temples. Yeah, yeah. I've been in a few pagan temples over the years. Last year, back in November, I visited one of the largest temple complexes, I think, that exists anywhere in the world. huge temple complex covering many, many hectares of land. It's, it's in China and it's called the Temple of Heaven. Anyone been there? No? The Temple of Heaven. Absolutely huge place and uh, architecturally you know, very impressive. And you can walk around this place for, for hours. It's got lots of buildings and lots of Pathways which they claim to be like the pathway to God, the pathway to heaven, the pathway to this and, and that and so on. And when you get to the very heart of the, uh, of the temple of heaven, when you get to the central building, the most important building in the whole structure, when you get to the most holy building and you look inside, what do you see? You see an idol. You see a a replica of a a so-called God. And that's like that in most, probably every pagan temple I've ever seen anywhere. When you, you look inside, what do you see? You see idols, don't you? That's what you see. But here, 
in the most holy place, there is no idol, there's a box, the Ark of the Covenant, with the atonement cover, which symbolised the very basis of the relationship between God and his people, and that being grace and forgiveness at the cost of sacrificial love, blood. Here we see the, the Ark of the Covenant with the testimony, the two inscribed tablets, which are the word of God, by which Israel was to live under God's rule. And here, in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, in front of the ark, is God's presence, the place where God could be met. Elsewhere in the Bible, the ark is described as being God's footstool. Uh, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, uh, it is described as being the throne of God. Let me read this to you. It's from 1 Chronicles 13, verse 5. You might need to write this down because it's not in your notes there. Where it says, So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerim. David and all the Israelites with him went to Baalal of Judah, Kiriath Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. The ark is God's throne by which he rules through his word <clears throat> on the basis of atoning sacrifice. This is the place where God could be met. A little slice of heaven which points us to Jesus. Because the tabernacle was eventually replaced with the more permanent structure in Jerusalem under the rule of Solomon, and that is the temple. And friends, the Bible teaches in, in Hebrews chapter 9 that the, the tabernacle slash temple was a, an earthly man-made copy of the true dwelling place of God, which is heaven which is, of course, infinitely better. Better by far than the tabernacle. As too is the sacrifice which is actually required to enter into the true tabernacle, the true dwelling place of God into heaven. Better by far than, than the blood of bulls is the blood of God the Son. When Jesus drew his last breath on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the curtain in the temple, which barred access to the most holy place, the curtain with the embroidered cherubim guarding the way back to the presence of God, was torn down, ripped apart, miraculously from top to bottom, because of the death of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, we're told that by his death, 
Jesus did not enter a man-made sanctuary. He entered into heaven itself where he now appears for us in God's presence. And guess what? He's actually made, cleared the path for us to have that, that true mountaintop experience. But a, a mountaintop experience that, that begins now through trusting in Jesus and being joined back to God in relationship with him through the death of Christ on our behalf, a mountaintop experience that we experience now, we experience into the future and we experience forevermore. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, we're told that the body of Jesus, that is his sacrifice for our sin, that, that we're told that the body of Jesus is the curtain. It spells that out for us. It is the, is the curtain. It is the way, the only way, into the true presence of God. And so Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, the temple, all of these things, atonement for sin and eternal presence of God, all of these things find their fulfilment in the death of Christ on our behalf. But we must put our trust in him, mustn't we? We must trust that he is the way that he is the truth, that he is the life. We must trust that it's only, there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who is indeed the curtain to the most holy place. And we must live with him in response as the ruler of our lives. The Ark of the Covenant symbolised the atonement of, by blood and symbolises the rule of God over his true people. So let me finish with the words from Hebrews chapter 10, which say it better than I could ever say. <clears throat> it's printed for you on your sheets there. Hebrews chapter 10. Everyone got that? Just have a look at this. It kind of sums up what's been said, sums up the Bible's teaching for us. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, where we're told this, we're told, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised, friends. He's faithful. He's faithful to us. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. He's faithful to his promises. So put your trust in Jesus and keep living 
with him as the ruler of your life. Next week, we're going to look at the priesthood as we continue with uh, some of this fine detail through Exodus and we'll see how the priesthood uh, is fulfilled in Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Gracious Father, we thank you that you have so revealed your plan and purposes for us through Scripture, through the very tangible earthly model of the tabernacle and then the temple. And you've shown us how uh, it is surpassed by the one to whom it pointed, and that is our Lord and Saviour Jesus, the one uh, who came and tabernacled amongst us, the one through whom we have seen your glory. We pray, Lord God, that we would be people who trust in him and that we would live with him as Lord and ruler of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.